0: What is your definition?
1: What does leadership mean to you? How do you define it? I think that empathy and that quality uh, is is incredibly important for leaders in, in business, politics. How do you build that trust
2: um, and be a leader when um, when you're not able to know everyone individually you know, all the time?
1: You're constantly asking for feedback, and how did that go? And yeah. how did how was that received? And the, the the biggest challenge is not asking those questions, but is making sure you're getting honest answers.
2: There's that leaders versus managers um, sort of dynamic.
1: Sometimes what I find with managers versus leaders is managers um, require a very buttoned up job description. They want to know what they're doing suit to nuts, and leaders can embrace an element of, of the ambiguity.
0: Hello, and welcome to the 30-Minute CMO Podcast. I'm Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined, as always, by my friend and partner, Alex McNamara. How are you today, Alex? I'm,
2: I'm okay. I'm doing okay hanging in there
0: hanging in there it's
2: been one of those days (laughs) hanging in there
0: with the rest of the country
2: yes (laughs) um
0: so well actually today's episode is quite timely because it is focused on the topic of leadership um it's a topic that we had been wanting to devote an episode to for some time now and we figured that there won't be a better opportunity as the country is going through its incredible period um, as it decides on who will be its next leader for the next four years And we could think of no one better to invite to join us in this discussion than Jeremy Kornfeld, the CEO of iProspect, the world's leading performance marketing agency. Jeremy, welcome to the show. It's so
1: great to have you here. Oh, Thanks, Gosha. Thanks, Alex. It's good to be here with both of you.
0: Well, I think we'll just dive right into this because I think uh, we can't start talking about leadership without defining it. And we wanted to ask you, what is your definition? What does leadership mean to you? How do you define it?
1: um, In Mm. your words? How do I define leadership? I think that's a uh, it's a great question. I mean, Mm. I think if I would look to define it, I would look for specific qualities that that leaders have to have. Um, I think that uh, I I, there's there's quite a few but let, let me land on probably three or four that I think are really important. Um, i think that there has to be a, a, a natural level of curiosity um, i think great leaders that i uh, admire um, are those that um, are always curious they're continually curious and i think that the curiosity um, opens itself up to uh, people that really want to listen uh, and want to learn anybody that tells you or or presumes to know that they have it all figured out, I think is, is someone that I don't want to get behind. But somebody that's curious and that wants to learn and listens and has um, uh, a specific point of, you know, it, open to different points of view, I think is, is um, a great leader. I think uh, one of the next qualities that I look for in, in um, leaders is uh, empathy. And empathy, it's really interesting because um, it's not just being empathetic to someone's situation and being able to listen and understand um, and console in some instances. I think that empathy goes a little bit further than that. And that if you can put yourself in someone else's shoes um, and also make decisions that way, even though they might not necessarily be um, widely uh, supported, but if you know it's for the greater good, I, I think that 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 becomes um, that becomes something that's a real real standout. And and I have a specific example actually that I just saw recently on a documentary um, over the weekend. They were talking about um, George Bush, um, Senior, uh, in his in his First term and and the fall of the Berlin Wall and then the um the fall of the Soviet Union, so he never went to the Berlin Wall and he never really got behind. It's, he didn't oppose it, but he didn't he didn't openly sort of promote um, uh, what was happening uh, and you know go and visit and and pay homage to it and and um, really sort of put his stamp on something that was so monumental and historic because he knew if he did that, that would have alienated Gorbachev. And it, and, and, um, it might have kept Gorbachev from doing what he needed to do to really break down the walls of the Soviet Union. And mm-hmm. so while he got crushed by the press uh, and while it looked like he wasn't really standing behind something that this, this country stood for he knew that for the greater good, he needed to take those hits um, because it was in everyone's best interest, especially America's, that you know that that there was a change in the Soviet Union. So, um, I think that empathy and that quality uh, is is incredibly important for leaders in in business, politics, any any type of. Um, um, uh, any, any type of, um, whether it's, you know, business, political, or, or, other pursuits. Um, and actually true in, in sports as well. Um, I think the, uh, the, the, the third, um, is in, and, and I, I always try to, um, I try to emulate this as much as possible myself, is around, uh, inspiration. I think that, um, Inspiration doesn't always have to be um, about uh, you know, and doesn't have to come through with a great public speaker, for example. You can be inspiring in different ways, but I think to really be a great leader, um, there is there is an element of inspiration that you have to deliver, and and that inspiration can then start to turn into belief. And if people can get behind that and believe it and feel it, um, then they're going to want to do it. And then they're gonna to start to feel that that um not just commitment because I'm getting paid to do this or I think it's the right thing, it, it becomes more than that and it takes on a greater meaning. And I think that that, I think that um that is critically important for for any leader. So that that curiosity, that empathy, inspiration, you know, those those are things that I think are are really important qualities. I think the final piece. You know, because I had said four is is also, and I think that's been really important this year is around transparency. Um, I think that good leaders are very transparent, um, and uh, they're not afraid to have those tough conversations because it's easy to be transparent when things are good. It's much more challenging to be transparent when when things are challenging, um, and also if you've made mistakes. So I think that you know that's also another good quality um, of great leaders is is that element of transparency.
0: Do you think there is a tension between these last three the, um, uh, that naturally comes comes about? Especially when I think about, um, you know, your example of empathy, for instance, that you use with George Bush and Gorbachev. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's clearly um, a strength um, in a testament to Bush's um, in this example Bush's foresight into mm-hmm. into what he needed to do which probably went against the short-term stated values that um he ran on um he's widely uh, accused of going back on many of the things that he said which is why he yeah. lost the re-election do you think do you think that um in 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 these cases with with empathy and and stated values with um, being inspirational, but at the same time having that need to be transparent, even in hard times. Do you find your moments when you have tension between these qualities that you have to kind of reconcile?
1: Yeah, I think that I think that um, I think that the the transparency is is um, and empathy are probably you know two that that can be juxtaposed because um, I think there are times when. Uh, you can almost be too transparent, which then can fly in the face of being empathetic, especially when you're trying to isolate um, certain individuals that you're you're trying to lead. Um, I, I think that that can be really hard. Um, so I, I do think that that there are those tensions, but it, the tensions actually can, if they're used properly, can bring out the best and can help you arrive at what's the right decision. Um, that you need to, that, you know, and the path that you need to kind of go down in, in order to make sure that um, you're leading your organization in the right way, that you're doing things that are for the greater good, um, and that, you know, you're, you're taking things to the next level. Uh, so I think it's good to have those healthy tensions as long as they are healthy mm-hmm. um, and as long as you can confront them and collaborate and figure out how you resolve them or if you you know if you just need to make the individual decision I think that that's okay too um, but I think those those healthy tensions can actually help you know the the answer is never if the answer is always hundred percent clear then you're probably not doing the right things. There's always going to be an element of I, I need to, I need to take some time. I'm not 100% certain, but I believe and that's the direction that I'm going to go in.
2: Um Jeremy, you're, you know, Leader, of CEO of iProspect. Um, it's one thing to manage a group of less than one hundred people, mm-hmm. and another thing to manage a group of more than one hundred people. Mm-hmm. You manage a group of eight hundred people. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you build that trust um, and be a leader when um, when you're not able to know everyone individually, you know, all the time?
1: Mm-hmm. That's a great question, Alex. And I'm also wondering if that's a slightly loaded question, but a great question for sure. It's not, it's um, not loaded at all. I, I, so one of the pieces of advice that I got along the way um, was uh, to know what people think of you. Um, uh, and I think in particular, when when they don't really know you, they know of you or they have some perception of you, but to know what they think of you before you walk in the room. So to know all, know all the good. Um, and to also know, um, you know, where, if I'm being kind, you know, they think you have areas of opportunity or places where you struggle or things that they may struggle with so that you can play to your strengths, but be very conscious of um, areas where people may think that you struggle or maybe where they're not hundred percent certain with what you're saying and believing in it or trusting in it, um, you know, so that you can, you can have that healthy awareness um, around how, what you're saying is going to be perceived. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of leaders and I do this myself, um, you're constantly asking for feedback and how did that go? And how did, how was that received? And the, the, the biggest challenge is not asking those questions, but is making sure you're getting honest answers and creating a really safe environment for people to be transparent with you so that you can get that, that, um, honesty, so that you can learn and grow from it. Um, and, and I think that that's that's, that's probably the most uh, important thing. You're never going to get to know um, everyone, but you want them to understand that y- you have a good sense of what they're feeling and, and what they may be struggling with. Um, and that you can relate, even if you are sort of, you know, two, three, four layers removed.
0: When um, when iProspect started, uh, it was a much different organization than it is now, both in terms of scope and size. Um, mm-hmm. It's geographical distribution. One of the ways that it grew, as is normal for advertising companies in general, is general, is through acquiring other, other companies and folding them in. And mm-hmm. um, I recognize the difference between um, growing organically and having that DNA um, scale and mm-hmm. then folding developed cultures into an already developed culture. You've had mm-hmm. to do that multiple times. And I wanted to um, ask you, you know, how do you manage the integration of these very different cultures, uh, people who um, maybe worked for years to develop them into one that is uh, maybe very different from, their, uh, from theirs and also mm-hmm. potentially doing it at a, at a distance. Not everything is uh, in the same building or in the same town.
1: -hmm well I, I think so that's a great question Gosha. and I think one of the things that I learned from being on both sides of the coin um, and is that um, you know there's there's always going to be uh, an element of of nervousness and, and anxiety especially from the the company that is being acquired so um, you're always you're gonna have different cultures and 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 um, And that no matter how you see the market and how aligned you are with where the the direction of business and and what we do is going, you're always gonna have this element of um, different cultures coming together. So one of the things that I found and one of the things that I've done with my leadership teams before we go, you know, before the acquisition is officially announced and they start meeting people from the other uh, organization is I, I share with them some of the things I just shared with you be empathetic, listen, um, understand where this organization is coming from. Even though they've just been acquired, even though this is sort of a, a sign of achievement, they're gonna be very anxious to prove why they were acquired. They're gonna be very anxious to prove themselves and share what they've done. And, and, and they're, they're, they're grappling with, they're kind of riding high of, wow, we must, we must be doing something really great. But they're also nervous of like, geez, I, you know, I have to make sure that everybody believes that this is really great. So there's there's this there's this sort of happiness coupled with anxiety that's going to be coming through a lot of the people that come in um, to sort of prove like what they do and how they do it and and that it you know it is a really good way of of working. And I find at the beginning of these um, acquisitions, uh, when when teams are getting to meet and know each other. There is there. You need to do a lot more listening um, than you do uh, learning and sharing, and and be open and welcoming, and really, you know, uh, in, invite them in to the inner circle, even though you don't really know them, so that you can listen and learn. And mm-hmm. once you can do that, and they kind of get through those first sort of layers of, of sharing their approach and how they work and what they do then when that easiness starts to settle in and they start to feel like, okay, I'm getting a little bit more comfortable. I get, you know, these people are are really interested in hearing what I have to say. They're really interested in learning what I've done to make make my clients successful, my team successful. Then you can start more of the integration process and it starts to become more free flowing of sharing information back and forth. Um, The other thing is too, is that, you know you you have to step up and and be a little bit more social so obviously during non covid times what we would do is you know we'd have some social gatherings and naturally what would happen at the social gathering after we do the big announcements and announce you know some of the key players and thank everyone for being there is the groups would go into their own groups and the people who you were friends with you would hang out with and the people they were friends with they would hang out with and you could see like the two organizations standing at opposite ends of the room you have to really push your leadership because it can't just be you it couldn't just be me going in and mingling got to push people to go in and mingle and and sometimes you can force that and do you know different ice breaking games like two truths and a lie or rose and thorn or whatever But there's also just gotta be some natural, like I said, curiosity and interest um, where people just need to go in and be like, hey, what's your name? What do you do? And and just start to have conversations and and build relationships. And so I would always tell my teams, we have to go do this. You have to take a leadership position. You have to drive this forward. This is how we're gonna make this work. you know, and I'm pleased to say that more often than not, it, it worked out pretty well. There was always some tensions that existed and some people that didn't click right away. Um, and, you know, in some instances, some broader changes that we had to make. Um, but, um, but broad, you know, broadly, we would see those things come together and come together pretty well and... and um, And, uh, you know, then you start to see the relationships build over time, which has been really great too. I I think right now, if you looked in iProspect, prospect, which is the makeup of almost five different agencies, you wouldn't know who came from where, which is, I think that's, that's a good testament to how well these things can come together. You know,
0: I, I, I think back to some of the organizations I've worked with in before and, um, most of them have uh, gone through periods of acquisition, either acquiring other companies or being acquired Mm -hmm. themselves. Mm -hmm. And you can see clearly in some instances, instances where these um, integrations never really reached their logical conclusion. Um, Companies that are successful companies that uh, deliver a lot of monetary value, but it's still an us versus them um, environment with parallel leadership structures uh, with, um, very different cultures, and it is so incredibly difficult to collaborate and uh, derive more value out of potential synergies on a day-to-day level that could potentially exist because these barriers have never been thoughtfully removed, that I mm-hmm. almost feel that whatever whatever signals were sent to Wall Street at the at the time when this integration was being justified have not really lived up to their full potential simply because no one ever really thought these very little things through and 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 there's value being left on the table in my mind
1: Mm -hmm. yeah i i agree i and i think too that you know just like we say when we're pitching new business um i think that there's three things that our clients buy at the end of the day it's it's subject matter expertise it's trust and it's likability and and those same factors play into any type of acquisition um whether you are the acquirer or, or the, the, the company that is being acquired, there still has to be a meeting of the minds around subject matter expertise. Um, and But beyond that, once you sort of get past the, okay, we both understand the nuts and bolts, or we know why we're coming together and we see the, the business synergies, there's got to be an element of trust and, and likability. And maybe the trust doesn't happen right away, right. but the trust is something like I could see it happening because I, I, I like these people and, and I want to work with them and I want to sit across the table from them. And, you know, I think that some of those column sort of, quote unquote, softer feelings uh, and, and intangibles get lost. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that they're the most important things because at the end of the day, you've got to like the people that you work with. If you like them, and yes, have those healthy tensions and other things, but if you like them and then you can build that trust, which then, you know, the byproduct of that is, is respect, that's when you can really start to blend the cultures together. And, and I think with with everyone um, that we've brought into the organizations, uh, and with all sorts of different leadership. And look, not all the leadership has stayed and, and some we've we've had to um, involuntarily remove, um, but there, there's, you know, you, you have to take those decisive actions too, that the others that do stay, you can see that that bond gets built. That's very interesting.
2: Mm-hmm. As, as you've um, sort of either, you know, incorporated new organizations into yours or sort of had people, you know, join the join the teams. There's that leaders versus managers um sort of dynamic where leaders can be anyone within the organization and and managers are you know by title managers. Um, so how do you spot and nurture those leaders um throughout the through you know, throughout the organization um and then can you develop those managers who don't have you know the soft skill sets into being you know true leaders regardless of title
1: yeah so Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of the best way to answer this where I don't sound too harsh. Um, <laughs> sometimes what I find with managers versus leaders is managers um, require a very buttoned up job description. They wanna know what they're doing soup to nuts and leaders can embrace an element of, of the ambiguity. And let me give you guys an example. My so my very first um, job, I worked for a company called the Forum Corporation, which was a management consulting firm, and I was there in the early '90s. Um, and we did management service, sales, and leadership training. And I was on the um, I was on the resourcing team. So we we had a group of um, internal folks that would kind of lead the lead the client engagements and manage the client engagements and develop the training materials. And then we had external consultants that would do a lot of the classroom training. And so in the resourcing group, I loved it because um, I got to see all the client projects that, that came in as soon as something closed, they'd call my team and say, you know, Jeremy, we need, you know, we got this, we need to staff it with X, Y, Z type of people. And there was this, and the, so the most senior job was a project leader. Um, and then the, the, the support person was the project manager. And there was this woman, her name was Siobhan. I was like 22 or 23 at the time. And Siobhan was only, you know, she wasn't that much older than me uh, in your twenties. Of course it felt like light years, but she was 26. Um, and uh, she was, her level was project manager, but over, you know, over probably about a year, a year and a half, people were calling her to be project leaders. Now, project leaders were, you know, late thirties to late forties, you know, a good 15, 20 plus years of experience. And here is everyone calling Siobhan, saying that they want her to be the, the project lead. And it wasn't like one sales; it was like everybody. And every every time they would call, can Siobhan do it? Can Siobhan, Siobhan available? Can we make Siobhan available? And finally I went up to her and I was like Siobhan, I know you're good, but I feel like I'm in charge of your fan club. Like what is going on? And and I said, just help me understand it. And she said to me, she said, um, the reason they all keep calling me is because they know that um whether or not it's been something that we've ever done before, I will I will figure out a way to get it done. And and I will not let them down. And she embraced the idea of never been done here before, but I'll do it. And and that scares a lot of people. Um, and so ever since then, I've always tried to embrace that and raise my hand for things that people hadn't done before. And yeah, I'll be afraid and nervous if I'm going into something where, you know, we haven't figured it out as an agency or as a network. Um, and if it's something new to our industry or new to business, but, um, embracing that challenge and, and always uh, sort of flying in the face of doing something new and different, having you know healthy nervousness and, and a little bit of trepidation and anxiety, I think is good. Um, but at the end of the day, that that's what helps you uh, not only emerge um, as someone that can be relied on and trusted, but it helps you emerge as, as a leader because you've got to be resourceful, you've got to be scrappy, you've got to figure out what do I do first and how do I amass the people around me that I need to help me solve the problem and sort of know that I can't just solve it myself. And, and I think that, um, uh, you know, those have been some of the most challenging and some of the most exciting things that, you know, that I've ever been, um, involved with. And, and it all came from, uh, you know, from, from just listening to what Siobhan shared with me and, and embracing that as I went throughout my, um, my career. And sometimes, you know, I'll be in something and I'll be like, geez, I have no business being here, but th- that, that then becomes the challenge. And then you've got to try and figure it out. And you're not always going to be successful and it's being okay with that too. Um, uh, but, but not shying away from it, I think is, has been really important. So to answer your question, Alex, I, I don't know if it is something that you can teach. Um, I, I think that it's not so much that behaviors can't be learned, but I think that there is um, an innate thing within some people where they will be comfortable putting themselves in a situation um, where they know they're going to be uncomfortable. And, yeah. and, and I think that that is hard for certain folks. Um, and I think it's easier for others. And it's not that great managers don't have a place in organizations. But great managers might not always be great leaders.
0: Hearing you just say this, do you think that um, it's on the organization then to create an environment or a culture that accepts risk taking—you know, controlled risk taking or acceptable risk taking? What you just—the example you just shared—can't uh, probably exist in every org. If, 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 if a company or an organization is very risk averse and mm. punishes people for taking. Um, those leaps of faith, you know, and experimenting, uh, you will not discover those types of leaders in their early mid-20s yeah. like, like your company did in that example. Do you think it's incumbent on the organization to foster this kind of uh, behavior?
1: I think it's incumbent on an organization um, to create an environment that um, uh, is, is safe and allows people to... Um, uh, raise their hand and say, I don't know, and I need help mm-hmm. um, in order to feel comfortable taking their own risks, if that makes sense. So yeah, broadly should it, I, I think every organization should have some level of comfort and, and foster you know, pushing the envelope and, and stepping outside of yourself and taking risks. Because if you don't, then you just become complacent. And complacent, complacency is, is everyone's top competitor. It doesn't matter who you're facing in the market. If you get complacent with what you do, somebody is going to go past you, and you can see it with so many organizations that have failed over time. But um, but how you protect against that, I think, is the environment that you create where you allow people to fall, and um, and you're there to pick them back up. Like I always think about <clears throat> in a you know in a in a new business pitch. My job is partially, yeah, to help set the direction um, and, and help with the story, but it's also to create environment where people can learn um, and stretch themselves, but also do it in a, in a place where it's going to be safe, um, where it's going to be okay if they get it wrong and not to call them out for getting it wrong, but try and steer them in another direction so that they get it right. And, and I think that that's, um, you know, that's how you create an organization that starts to get more comfortable with risk and starts to push the envelope on, on what you can do, regardless of the vertical.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, actually that's sort of nicely segues into the next couple of questions we wanted to ask you about and it's about the organizations being at their best. Um, mm-hmm. And you as a leader, right? You have internal and external factors that influence your decision-making process. Um, we all, I mean, we all do, but, uh, where do you draw confidence in your decisions from when you know that the decision that you're making maybe is not 100%, um, supported by everyone or everyone shares your vision? Where is this, where does the confidence come from to kind of stand by it?
1: Yeah. So, um, if you'll permit me, I, ha- I have another story that I'll share with, with both of you that, that I think will, will give you an example. Um, of, of how, I, how I try to reconcile challenging decisions. <clears throat> I won't say the name of the client, but um, uh, within our, our network, we had won an incredibly large client, over $3 billion in, in global media spend. And um, it was one of those situations where no one thought that our network would win. Um, you know, we were clearly the underdog, but we went in and we won and it was great. I mean, it was, it was, um, it was, we put our name on the map type win. Um, And it happened to be at the time, the largest global pitch in the history of our industry. So it was also, um, you know, it was pretty monumental in general. Uh, As we were going through it, um, and and onboarding the business, uh, it was it was a huge challenge, because we didn't we didn't have the infrastructure. And so um, I was on the pitch team after we won the the business and we were getting staffed up. I was there for like the first month or so. And then I kind of stepped back and somebody else was was leading the business. Um, <clears throat> and uh, the person who was leading the business about eight months in, maybe seven months in, um, he called me and he just said, he said, things are, are not in a good place. They're not in a good place with all the digital. And I said, okay. Um, and uh, he's like i need you to to come and help and i went okay great uh, i'm i'm happy to i'll, I'll come and help um, so i went in diagnosed the situation and it was even worse than than what he had described we basically just we had no infrastructure and and no one even knew where to start they they were just sort of <sighs> it wasn't like, okay, let's take a step back and let's start with these five things. And we're going to do this first and the second. It was just like people were running around scattershot and it, it was, we were, we were not in a good place and had the client seen how chaotic it was. I think they might've really been questioning the choice uh, that they made. <clears throat> so there was a, a senior executive, um, uh for our network who, who was like the executive sponsor he was based in london one of my mentors as well his name was nigel um and he was coming over from london to the states to meet with the client and then i had a dinner scheduled with him with with another senior person on on the, the um our internal client team uh and he was made aware of how challenging the situation was so we sit down at dinner with three of us it was a guy named steven nigel and myself and we're at dinner, we have our pleasantries. And then Nigel looks at us and he's like, okay, what's going on? And, um, and so uh, Steven, who didn't know Nigel very well, is kind of like, well, it's, you know, it, it, there's these certain things happening, but it's gonna be okay. And, and I jumped in and I was like, Nigel. And it was this goes to the transparency. Um, I said, we, we dropped one of the largest advertisers in the world uh, on an agency that doesn't have the infrastructure to support it. Um, and we're crumbling and I said, um, we know what we need to do to dig out of it, but we're gonna to have to make some decisions that go against what we would normally do as a network, but it is for the good of this client and ultimately will benefit the network in the long run. And we need you to, I need you to support all that. And he said, okay. So we kind of talked through a little bit of that. And then he asked me, and this is to, to get to the answer to your question. Then he said to me, there was another person and I'm not going to use his real name, um, but just call him Joe. And he said, uh, uh I thought Joe was, um, was an operational expert. And I said, well, I, I think he helped the agency get from the basement to the first floor, but we're in the penthouse now and, and he's out of his depth. And he said, okay. And he goes, well, what do we do with him? and i said well he doesn't work for me uh you know it's not really my my decision and he said i know but i just want to know what we do with him and i said well again you know i i i'm not 100 sure exactly what we do with him but it's you know it's not my decision um you know that decision lies with with someone else and then he he sort of put down his utensils because we were at dinner And he stared at me directly in the eye and he painted me into a corner and he goes, I know it's somebody else's decision, but I am asking you and you need to tell me what we need to do with him. And I looked at him and I said, you really going to make me do this? And he just stared at me and I hemmed and hawed a little bit. And finally I looked at him and I said, I'm not sure if he has a place here. And then he went, okay. And then he got up, excused himself, went to the restroom. Stephen looked at me, he goes, so who else are we gonna get fired tonight? And then uh, Nigel came back and he sat down and then um, Stephen got up and he, he left. Uh, and Nigel looked at me and he said, do you know why I did that and painted you into a corner? And I was like, no. And he said, sometimes as a leader, As much as we think Joe is a great guy, and maybe there is some place where he can add some value, sometimes you have to make decisions that are for the greater good. And while I know Joe's situation and I know what's going on, he will cause more damage to a broader population of people if we don't take some action here. And if you're gonna grow, you need to be thinking about the greater good rather than the individual and um and i took that to heart because it was hard i knew the guy I you know knew was about his his life and and what this would have and like you know i was confident you might find something else but you don't want to be the the um you know you don't want to hold someone's fate in your hands like that but at the same time he was right you have to think about the greater good and what is going to have the the, a bigger, broader impact on, on the population that you're trying, you know, Alex, as you had mentioned the population that that might not know you very well, but that you're trying to lead. And sometimes that does come down to making some really tough choices. And and there might be some people and you go back to empathy that, that are going to get hurt during that process. But if, if, the end result is you help a bigger part of the population, and you can move things forward. That's that's ultimately what you know what you have to do. And so, when I think about big decisions um, that are going to have an impact on the broader agency, I try and think about what is in the best interest of the greater good. I can't imagine that this is ever an easy thing to do, especially
0: because you might be. A- uh, making these choices based on um, people who are relatively unknown to you versus people who you know very well and people who you know, you, who you know very well, like in the case of your example with Joe might be the ones that have to um, have to
1: go. Yeah. Right? Well, but Gosha, sometimes when you don't know them very well, um, you can think that it's, it might be easier, but the challenge becomes what don't you know? And, you know, could you be making a decision without all of the information Um, and uh, will you cause more harm than good. So um, there is an element of uh, when you do have more information, although it can hit on some more personal aspects and you have to try and separate that business and and personal element. if you can fully understand the impact of what you're going to do and decide, I think it can in some ways make those decisions a bit easier. If you don't know a lot or if you don't know the people, um, I I think in some ways it can actually make those decisions uh, a bit harder because you don't know what you don't know. and, And that can become really scary. I want to ask Alex, I'm gonna
0: just jump uh, into a question from the end, but it was a question we saved up for advice to people who are maybe leading small to medium-sized businesses, just because it's such a perfect example here to I think uh, evolve on. Small organizations are usually very deeply connected on a personal level to one another, where the leader Mm -hmm. hired everyone individually Mm they become a family. As these organizations scale, as Alex said, when you get over a hundred, um, it becomes a very different type of organization. How do those leaders need to evolve in from your experience in order to recognize that they're serving the greater good, the larger population, as you say, and are mm-hmm. no longer beholden to the individual relationships from which the company may have started?
1: Yeah. Well, I think, I, I mean, I think that there's a couple of things um, with, with those leaders. Um, And actually, some of what I am going to say, you might not necessarily agree with, but um, I think that um, the first thing is, is they've got to have a North Star, right? So if the North Star for them is having a small tight knit group that they can wrap their arms around and know each individual as intimately as possible that will be a bit of an Achilles heel as they start to grow because eventually you get to a size where that isn't possible. Um, And, and I think that that then becomes harder. Uh, So if, if that's their North star, then I think as the organization grows, they're actually probably going to benefit from bringing in someone else um, to help run and drive the organization as it gets to as it gets to the next level. If they do have a North Star of where they want it to go and how they want it to grow, I think that while that intimacy and getting to know everyone and having that that connection um, is really important the north star becomes what you're driving towards. And that longer term vision becomes what you're driving towards. And that becomes your, your not only your, your path and sort of your guiding light of where you're going, but it becomes the element by which you use to make um, decisions. And even if that becomes decisions around personnel and, and um, the the direction of the organization and, and who's going to help us get there versus not. Um, and, and I think that that helps to Crystallize what it is that you want to do and where you want to go. Um, there was a period of time where uh, where I left and I actually went to a smaller agency um, because I, you know, I I wasn't unhappy with where I was working, but I thought maybe this would be a, an interesting opportunity, and I knew that they were going to gear themselves up to um, to sell. and It was it was a smaller agency that had found a niche in the entertainment vertical. Um, but they worked with you know sort of tier two, tier three, tier four type clients that some of the bigger agencies wouldn't always pay as much attention to. Um, but I thought they had an interesting selling proposition, and so and I got to know the founders, and so I I, I took the role and I went there. And not, not too long into it, I kind of realized that this this probably wasn't the right place for me. Um, but really, where it it um, where that that thought sort of became fact and reality and where I felt really comfortable in it was when I was having a conversation with one of the founders and he, and he said two things to me. He said, I loved when this place was 60 people Mm -hmm. and, you know, I knew everyone and we could kind of go in and do our thing. And, and he felt an element of control. Um, he didn't have to, uh, um, he didn't have to delegate work he could be involved in everything he could stay connected to all of it that was the first clue not that there's anything wrong with that but you know my aspirations were to be part of something bigger and that was part of my north star and the second thing that he said to me was um he said that you know he said give me a client that can't find their way across the street he's like that's who i want to work with mm-hmm. and i remember i said to him i was like but when the clients are smarter, the work is better mm-hmm. and it's more challenging. And he said, "Yeah, not interested." And um, and again, he had built a very successful business, made a lot more money than I had and still have, right? But that was his that was his north star, and 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 he had found a, a, a niche, and he had. It, you know, built a really successful business around that. And I applaud him for that. That wasn't the thing that really drove me. And so I knew that, that this wasn't the right place for me, regardless of what I could have made it, you know, if they sold the business or whatever, it, it just wasn't going to to fill me um, intellectually or emotionally. Uh, and um, and so you know, and I, I knew I'd have good earning potential. So um, I I you know I chose to to actually come back to the network that I'm in um, right now, um, and uh, it, it was it was a really good but it was a really good learning experience to kind of to kind of go through that. So I think when you are part of these small to mid-sized organizations, it is about you know having that North star and knowing where you want to go and knowing what the organization is all about. And that will start to give you more clarity with the decisions that you need to make.
2: Sticking to the sort of the advice section, and we kind of touched on this earlier, um, but traditionally the sort of the growth arc from a individual contributor as you kind of moving up through an organization is to go from IC to manager, you know, leader um, level. Um, what happens when you have a, brilliant individual contributor who is not necessarily a great manager or a great leader for a team of people. And you kind of touched on what it's like to have a, an individual you know, cause havoc within the general population. So how mm-hmm. do you, you know, if they're really great at contributing to the organization, how do you manage them um, to stay within the organization? Because you want their skill set, you want their sort of approach and their thinking um Mm -hmm. but maybe not in that leader or manager role
1: well i think that you have to look at your organization and see is there a value add in in having that type of person within your your organization number one so is this something where you can still um where where there's a good value exchange between the individual and the organization are they still being fulfilled um and uh, are they are they fulfilling needs that ha- that you have within the organization? Can they swoop into challenging situations and help course correct? Can they be a utility player and play a variety of roles, whether it's in existing business, new business, um, other things like that? The only time when that really fails is if that person can't collaborate. So I've I've worked with people. And I had one person in particular, and I was actually really good friends with him for a long time. Um, and he was brilliant. I mean, just brilliant. He could come up with things that in an hour that would take me a week and mine still wouldn't be half as good. And I could even have five people helping me and it still wouldn't come out nearly as, as eloquent and well thought out and, and differentiated as what he would um, come up with. But he was a total... I'll keep my language nice. He was a total jerk and he was really hard to work with. And he had this approach and I would tell him this all the time and he would deny it, but he would assume everyone was was dumb until they proved him otherwise. And he was impossible to work with. And we would go into existing clients or new client situations. And what would come out was he would stand out, but the rest of the team would sort of crumble behind him because they they couldn't, it just, it didn't work. And we wouldn't win anything and we would come out of a new business pitch, for example, and they'd say, oh, that guy was really smart, but we're not going to hire you. And that doesn't do anybody any good. Um, And so I I would take the good individual contributor as long as they are a good collaborator. I think if you can find a role where there's a great value exchange um, uh, and you still have good managers and other good leaders, then, you know, you need all elements to really create success. And there, there are roles for, all sorts of um, different types of skill sets.
2: Yeah, that's that's a very, very good way of, of thinking about it. Um, I think we have time for one more. Um, on you know the current climate right now with, with COVID, this mm-hmm. must have been one of your toughest challenges that you've faced. And mm-hmm. I'm saying that as a statement, but it's also a question. Um, how have you, you know, has it been one of your toughest challenges and how have you adapted your leadership style from you know to deal with this
1: uh it has it been one of the i mean it, it's been it's been the most abrupt change that we've ever had and i think that any business has, has ever experienced it's all of a sudden one day you know you're in the office and um the, account, you know, the weekend ends and you're not coming back and you don't know any time and you don't know when you're going to be back and when you're all going to be face to face and now all of a sudden you're communicating over the screen and you're in people's homes and, and um, it was odd and scary. And um, the uncertainty was, was really difficult. And I I think that that's probably with this time, that's probably been the biggest challenge, not as much. I mean, it's been a challenge for me, but it it goes back to that empathy and understanding the organization and how unsettling ambiguity and uncertainty is Um, and that that can create stress like you've never imagined. And even though people might be in their homes and they might be around their families, and and even though the you know business might be okay, there's still this this air of uncertainty, um, that 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 just kind of eats at you. And so, what I tried to do during this time was just over communicate. Um, and uh, and I was on a run one morning um, early on during the the pandemic. I think with the first week where we were um, at home, and I just had this thought: maybe it would be a good idea to um, record a video and send it out to to my team, to my agency, um, and just just talk to them and let them know that I'm here. And so. That led to you know one, and then um, and then I did another one, and then I created an anonymous form where where they could ask questions, uh, and I started shooting nightly videos and just having a a virtual dialogue, if you will, with you know as you called out, Alex, 800 people every night, and we're up to video 81. Um, The nightly videos started to get to be a little much, I think, for for everyone. But I think we got up to about 70 videos um, uh, in a row um, before we started to pull back. And so now, but we still do it weekly. And then we have someone else from from the organization um, communicate each week. And I I think what I've found, at least when things are really uncertain, just having another voice and and communicating and talking back and forth, and not only making sure that you are out, outwardly communicating, but also making sure that, that others feel heard um, and can share and have a safe place to do it, I, I think is really important. And over the course of this, I think I've got some things right. I think I've got some things wrong uh, and owning both. Um, but continually letting people know that you're there. And and that's that's ultimately what I've tried to do because um, whether you live alone or you have, you know, the significant other or a family or whatever the case may be, I still think that there can be an element of feeling a bit alone um, and isolated from, you know, the people that you arguably probably spend more time with than anyone else. It's the people that you work with. So So how do you, how do you break down that barrier? And um, and, and I, I think just the constant communication has, has helped at least, and again, this goes back to trying to get as much information as possible. At least that's what I've, you know, that has been shared back with me is that it's, it's helped. Um, and so just making sure that you keep doing it.
0: Jeremy, uh, we've touched on a lot of different questions. Um, the stories you've shared have been great. Um, and I think there's a lot that everyone can take away from from the conversation we had with you uh, today. So we want to thank you very much for spending the hour with us, um, sharing your views on leadership, um, some of the anecdotes that informed uh, your own growth as a leader and mm-hmm. uh, wish you all the best in uh,
1: the rest of the year and in the year to come. Great, well, Gosha, Alex, it's been a pleasure. Um... There's always more stories to share. So, uh, you know, hopefully we get to do this again sometime soon. And thanks for having me.